Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Fourth and four, more than a minute to go. Got all your timeouts. And you decide, as a rookie head coach on the road, to kick a 64-yard field goal. That. Didn't end up too well for the new man in charge of the Denver Broncos last night. Spent all that money. $242 million to get Russell Wilson. Traded all of those assets. Because you felt that Russell Wilson was the missing piece. First game back in Seattle against his old team. It's fourth and four. Fourth and four. With a minute plus left on the clock, you have all your timeouts, and your game plan is to let the clock run down, not use any of your timeouts, attempt a 64-yard field goal from a kicker who, by the way, in his career has never made a field goal of more than 62 yards. That was his sixth attempt. He's 0 for 6. So you kick the field goal, you miss it, then you use all your timeouts, and you know what happens? That's a big old fat 17-16 loss for the Denver Broncos. What a way to cap off a crazy first weekend in the National Football League. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I am the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III. I'm joined by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. We have a tremendous show lined up for you today. Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast will join us coming up at 7 o'clock. Framer Valdez put together a magnificent performance last night. Breakout year for him, becoming a first-time All-Star. He is just pitching on another level. And the Astros just show you just why they're so dangerous because of the depth of their pitching. We'll break down the Astros getting to win number 91 with Framer Valdez's superb performance last night in Detroit. That'll be coming up at 7 o'clock. At 7.15, Coach Dez. New time for our... Hashtag culture segment with the man in charge of the Raging Cajuns football program. They've started off the season 2-0. and They gear up for a trip to Houston to take on Rice on Saturday. At 8 o'clock, Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press will be joining us as we try to figure out 
Can McNeese get back on track as they welcome in Alcorn State this coming Saturday? First game under the lights for the Cowboys since the Hurricanes. And then at 8.15 today, Bill Bender, our friend from the Sporting News College football reporter columnist. It was a bananas weekend for college football as well. We'll get his thoughts on what occurred. That's all coming up. Those are our four guests. Of course, we love to hear from you. Game hotline is open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We do have a tremendous show. Producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names, busy at work unveiling the poll question of the day. And it's directly related to what in the heck happened in last night's game. Seattle booed Russell Wilson fairly loudly. I was a little surprised by that. It's not as if he went to a division rival. Spent 10 years with the franchise. Helped you win a Super Bowl. Went to another. It's pretty loud boos there if you were listening to the radio broadcast or watching on television. And he did not play well early. They did not play well early. Credit Seattle for playing up. Geno Smith tried to do his best, and he played probably a little above himself. Seattle gets the win, but they do lose what I think Jamal Adams had to be carted off, the former LSU star, their star safety, one of the best players they have on their team. That's not named DK Metcalf. Yeah, he had to be carted off, so... Not a great sign there. But it ended up being a familiar scene in Seattle. Russell Wilson leading his team downfield for a game-winning score late in the fourth quarter. But this time he was wearing the Denver Broncos jersey. And instead of letting Russell Wilson win the game, when it's fourth and four, The guy that you spent $242 million on, traded away all your assets for because you believe he's the missing piece. He's the guy. He's the Super Bowl winner. He's going to turn your fortunes around in Denver as they've been desperately searching for a quarterback ever since Peyton Manning in his noodle arm that last year decided to retire. And you pull him off the field. You let him sit there on the field and let him just eat all the time off the clock. That was designed. They had more than a minute to go. All their timeouts, Russell Wilson, fourth and four. And they ran the clock down and then attempted a 64-yard field goal attempt. Did the coach believe he was in Denver where because of the elevation – You can actually kick 60-yard field goals and make them because the ball carries? Was he confused where he was at? That's an awful, awful debut. I talked to one of my buddies who's a diehard Denver Broncos fan. He wants the coach fired today. Like, one game. And the text he sent, and yeah, I said it. Get his dummy self out of off my team. 
Seattle's not going to be a good team. They're atop the NFC West right now because everyone else lost on opening weekend. But do you envision this team being a world beater? No. 64-yard attempt was no good. It's fourth down. You got Russell Wilson. At least take your timeouts better. Why not take a timeout and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Let's try a hard count. Let's go out there, or let's try to scheme this up. Let's see what we can do. Or, you know what, let's just go for it on fourth down. I have all my timeouts, and then I'll just try to get the ball back, and let's try to do something in desperation then. Credit Russ for not throwing his coach under the bus afterwards, saying, I don't think it was the wrong decision. I think he could make it. Obviously, in hindsight, we didn't make it. But if we were in that situation again, I wouldn't doubt whatever he decided, end quote. So he had his coaches back. Getting paid $242 million, too, I'd have my coaches back there. Woof. Awful clock management. By the way, in case you were wondering, NFL kickers are two for 35 on attempts of 64 yards or more since 1991. I do believe that's before you were born, Hannah. Yes? Is that accurate? Okay. So, since 1991, kickers are a mere two of 35 on kicking field goals of 64 yards or more. The fans started screaming, Gino, Gino, Gino. Gino was 23 of 28 for our 195 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He was sacked twice. Seattle couldn't run the ball. Penny only had 60 yards on 12 carries. They only rushed for 76 yards. DK Metcalf inexplicably led the Seahawks with seven receptions, yet had the third most yardage at 36. That's what we call a healthy 5.1 yard average. Metcalf lost a fumble. They did not play great offensively, but they did their job. And they were good enough to win. Russell ends up going 29 of 42 for 340. A touchdown, no picks, sacked twice. They rushed for over 100 yards. Jerry Jerry Judy had over 100 yards receiving, including a sensational 67-yard touchdown. Sudden, 72 yards. Williams had 65 yards. And somehow they lost this game. They lost two fumbles. Melvin Gordon still fumbling. 17 to 16. You take the ball out of the hands of your playmaker, your $250 million quarterback, to put the game on the line and give it to the kicker 
to make a kick that has only been made twice from that range or farther since 1991. Woof. It seems like a fitting in to an absolutely bonkers first weekend of the NFL where you had freak injuries. I mentioned Jamal Adams getting injured last night. The Pro Bowl safety for Seattle. We've obviously earlier in the weekend, T.J. Watt has torn his pectoral. He's going to be out. Dak Prescott's going to be out, the quarterback for the Cowboys. Mac Jones is having some back spasms for New England. Lots of players got injured. Significant impact high-level players got injured over the weekend. And some weird games. The Cincinnati-Pittsburgh game was bizarre. New Orleans-Atlanta was bizarre. And then, hey, why not? Let's just cap it off with Denver, a supposed Super Bowl team, having their head coach go out there and go, you know what? Nah, bro, we good. Once again, Brandon McManus career history on 62-yard or more field goal attempts. 62 yards in 2016, a miss. 62 yards in 2018, a miss. 63 yards in 2021, a miss. 64 yards in 2019, a miss. 64 yards last night, a miss. 70 yards in 2021, a miss. What are you thinking? The guy's never made a kick from that far. Hey, 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 RP3. You know what you're really good at? Yeah, okay. I'm going to put you in a situation where you're being forced to do something that you're not good at. Hey, RP3, time for a 5K. The company's fate depends on it. Get it done, bud. No one would ever make that decision. It amazes me that all these years later, it's yet another season in the National Football League and clock management is still an issue. With all the technology we have, all the the, the staff members, all the money being spent on coaches and facilities, that clock management is still something where you have people, media folks, former players, or just Joe fan out there watching or listening to the game, screaming at their television or radio going, what are you doing? The man opted not to go for it on fourth down with his $250 million quarterback when he still had all his timeouts and instead let the ball, let the time run out and kick a 64-yard field goal. You deserve to lose. When you're making boneheaded decisions like that, you deserve to lose. 111 on the clock, needing a field goal, and they did not call another offensive play. They did not call another offensive play. Settling for a 64-yard field goal attempt. Just unbelievable. 
I don't even still trying to wrap my brain around exactly what we saw there on Monday Night Football. <laughs> just, we just, no, bro, we good. We good. Russ, I know you've had like 30-plus fourth quarter or overtime comeback victories in your career. It's one of the reasons why we gave you all the money, signed you, traded for you, got you, and then gave you the big contract extension. I get that. You know how to win close games. You know how to come back from behind. I appreciate that, bud. But look, I got another approach here. Hear me out. I want you to take all the time off the clock that we can. We're not going to use any of our timeouts. And then I'm going to try to attempt a 64-yard field goal. That's why I get paid to be the head coach. (laughs) It's our poll question of the day. We asked you, what would you have done in last night's Monday night football game? Would you have gone for it on fourth down, or would you have kicked the 64-yard field goal attempt? Love to hear from you. And you tell us, what do you think should have been done? Go vote on our poll question of the day. And leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite quartz and marble in Acadiana, and they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you before, my friends over at LMG provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and even your man caves. LMG also has now an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free showers. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and no odor. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com today or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marlboro and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Poll question of the day is about the ridiculousness that we saw last night in Monday Night Football. You know, what not to do? (laughs) We asked you, what would you have done in last night's Monday Night Football game? Denver's new coach, Hackett, decides not to use his timeouts, not to let his $250 million quarterback try to convert a fourth down. Instead, attempts a 64-yard field goal that his kicker has never made one ever, more than 62 yards. And then promptly used all his timeouts after missing the kick as they lost to Geno Smith in the Seattle Seahawks. What would you have done in last night's game? Attempt the 64-yard field goal or go for it on fourth and four 
83% of you say go for it. People are actually voting for the 64-yard field goal. I appreciate it. Hart on Twitter says you don't pay a quarterback that type of money just to bring in your kicker. Happy birthday to RP3. Thank you. Birthday wishes are coming in. Thank you. Thank you. I was saying happy birthday not once but twice by the morning crews around here at Delta Media. Thank you for that. I do believe Hannah Five Names orchestrated some of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As she as she looks around and tries to hide. You ain't fooling anybody. Ton says, you know, we can all say we'd go for it. We can be armchair coaches. The truth is, none of us are getting paid the big bucks. The kick had the distance, remember. That being said, even a blind man could see that that was terrible clock management and that they should have gone for it. See, that's that's a that's why I always like Ton commenting on the poll question. Because Ton likes to lay it out, right? Likes to give you some levels to his comments. It's just usually just not right off the bat. Ton's like, yeah, look, we could we could second guess here. And you're reading it and you're going, okay, well, Ton's going the other way. And then then he goes, no, 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 no. Even I, even a blind man should have known they should have gone for it. Because here's the thing. If you go for it and you don't make it, then you can burn your timeouts to get the ball back. So then you can try to go down the the field and then try to kick a desperation 64-yarder. The clock management was, as Kevin Foote would say, pubble. JPK, the OD, says sometimes you just got to go for it. Kind of like LSU and a certain two-point conversion that didn't happen in the Dome. Oh, he used a Rocky three give. I'm here for this. Steve, our buddy Salty Steve, says, look, the Denver Bronco playbook. (laughs) It's the cover of coaching football for dummies. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Let's talk a little Houston Astros baseball. They improved to 91-50 and last night with the win against the Detroit Tigers. 7-0 shutout victory. It was Framer Valdez's 15th win of the season and his first career shutout. First-time All-Star is now 15 and 5 on the season. He posted his 24th straight quality start, which ties New York Mets All-Star and Cy Young Award winner Jacob DeGrom for the longest single season streak in the big leagues, which he did back in 2018. The Astros now need to go 9 and 12 overall to capture their fifth 100-win season in franchise history. And fourth in the last five full seasons. Remember, COVID season impacted. You didn't play enough. Another 100-win season. Valdez threw the first shutout by an Astros pitcher since Verlander threw a no-hitter against the Blue Jays back on September 1st of 2019. So that's pretty good. I'm just going to say it. Pretty good. Also, a quick game of only two hours and 43 minutes. (laughs) Framer pitches fast, which I'm here for, and so is our friend Chandler Rome, who tweeted out last night, two hours, 43 minutes, Framer forever. (laughs) Because it makes things far easier when you're doing that. 
a good night at the on the road. Look, Detroit is a mess. They're rebuilding or attempting a rebuild. But Framer is you lose Verlander to the injury and you're taking the precautions. And Framer has essentially stepped into the number one role for this team and has thrived. The quality start streak continues to roll right along. He pitches his first career shutout. I understand it's against the Tigers, not to pile on the Tigers, but this is what you need. And somebody has stepped up while Verlander's out, which is forcing the Astros not to panic and rush Verlander back. They can take their time with him. They can take their time. Once again, Framer was amazing. Valdez becomes the 12th major league pitcher to throw a shutout this season on track for the fewest in a full season since only eight were thrown back in 1873. I'm being told that was a long time ago. Yes, 1873. (laughs) And it was only the 28th complete game in the big leagues this year, down from 50 during the entire 2021 season. Jeremy Pena, you're starting to see him kind of have a little bit of a surge here, kind of a bounce back. Performances at the plate. He went through a lull where pitchers started figuring him out a little bit. The changeup was giving him issues in particular. Pena had three hits for the Astros and scored twice. So Houston, Detroit, Framer Valdez gets the win last night. Of course, they'll get after it again today. 540 is first pitch today. So we'll have an abbreviated crunch time with me as a mess with guest host Blaine Vietor. 540 today. You can listen to the game, of course, live right here on the game because we're your home for the Houston Astros. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to switch gears and talk a little LSU Tigers. Brian Kelly made a little bit of a joke during yesterday's press conference where he brought the $10 because he was about a minute late. That's nice. That worked. That worked. It's it, You feel a little bit more confident and you execute things a little bit better following a lopsided victory. That's typically the rule of thumb. We'll share with you what Brian Kelly, the man in charge of the LSU Tigers, had to say. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Brian Kelly got his first win as LSU head football coach on Saturday in a laugher of a game against Southern. It was historic. It was great to see Baton Rouge in the state of Louisiana. But let's be honest, this was not a competitive contest. And you don't really know that much more about LSU. It's good that they got the win. Don't get me wrong. And Malik Neighbors got himself a touchdown. Jack Besh got a touchdown. You know, the local guys got some love. That's great. And they got a win, and they executed. That's great. But we don't know anything more about LSU. We're going to find out a lot. Mississippi State on Saturday, and then two weeks from them on the road at Auburn. We're going to find out a lot more about this LSU team. I told you all that for the longest time. Playing Southern, playing New Mexico, the Lobos come to town a week from Saturday. Not really going to know that much about the true caliber and the potential of this team. Not against those opponents, but against Mississippi State and Auburn and then Florida. You're gonna We're going to find out more about just what type of season this is going to be for Brian Kelly and company. But you're coming off a win, and that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. It's always good to get the dub. <laughs> and Brian Kelly was feeling good, as he should have been yesterday when he had his weekly press conference where he talked and brought $10 for the jar for being late, of course. Now, Jaden Daniels. We found out why he became the starting quarterback. He did not, his performance is not why LSU lost the opener against Florida State. He balled out in a big way against Southern. He played well, especially late against Florida State. The quarterback with the best passer rating in the SEC, by the way, through two games, is Jaden Daniels. Brian Kelly talked about his starting quarterback. Well, I think you start with efficiency with with Daniels, his ability to keep eight drives alive consecutively and turn them into touchdowns. I think that's a great place to start. So, you know, I think, you know, there's still growth there, and he would tell you that if he was standing here. There's there's still growth and recognition, but he's so coachable. I think I mentioned this the last time we talked about him, is his demeanor when he comes to the sideline, extremely coachable, uh, taking in information, uh, talking to the box, talking to me on the sideline where you can get him information and you can pick that up and, and move on to the next series. So I like that uh, about him. Look, here's a guy with three years of starting experience, and you can sense and feel that when he comes to the sideline that you can have that kind of dialogue. Look, I think we've all seen his ability to throw it, and he was confronted with opportunities on Saturday where he could have taken off, but – for example, the touchdown to Besh, right, where he gets to the line of scrimmage and finds an open receiver and lets the ball go. If we can continue to see that, um, he, he becomes very difficult to, to contain. Look, the Daniels kid can play. That's the reality. He can play. He's good, and he gives them a chance. And you can tell that why he won the job. And look, this is not a knock on Garrett Nussmeyer by any stretch of the imagination. Young man has potential as well. And I think he can play. That said, he struggled when he got into the game against Southern. 
because he tries to do too much. He's got too much of that cowboy in him, so to speak. And Kelly talked about that and talked about the growth needed for Garrett Nussmeyer. You never want to have a moment where you, you turn the ball over. And, and obviously we had a conversation with that. He's got to take care of the football, and he knows that. I mean, that's not anything that's um, something that he, he feels good about. But he did some really good things, and, and we have to build off of that. And uh, I think he is somebody that when, you, when you're in that number two position, I'm not here to make excuses for him, you press a little bit, right? You want to – you know, you have another quarterback who's led eight consecutive touchdown drives. You're trying to press. You want to get on the field. And – and he doesn't need to do that. We have great confidence in him. He just needs to let the game come to him. So he knows the young man has potential, but look, it was obvious he was pressing. He gets a chance to get into the game. He sees how well Jaden Daniels has been playing. They were just scoring at will. So he wants to get in on the action too. Young quarterbacks do this. Young quarterbacks do this. But... They have to turn the page, and they have to turn the page quickly. Because you can't take too many victory laps about beating Southern because Mississippi State comes to town. Mike Leach, year three in Stark Vegas. You look at the previous stops of his coaching career with that air raid offense. At Washington State, year three, they took a jump up. Year three at Texas Tech, they took a year. They took a, a jump up. They're 2-0 and to start the season, and they're coming off a road victory at Arizona. Leach is the mad pirate. He's going to present some challenges, and Kelly talked about the challenges that the Bulldogs are going to bring. In, yeah, pati- I- in particular, their three-three-five defense. It's it's really about you know how the and again I'm just using words here, so don't take it too uh, literal. But how the the birds line up, right? I mean, it's a three-three-five defense, but they can move people around. So. It's, it's recognition of where those overloads come from and where those pressures, how you slide the front, how do we recognize, you know, who are the five to block in the run game. And, and the three-three-five presents some of those problems. And, you know, we'll have to do a great job of, of making it a little bit simpler. You know, we think that the tight end helps in this situation where you can pick up an extra blocker in those situations to clean some things up. But I've gone against the three-three-five on many occasions, and it does present some unique challenges. It's very good against, you know, a, a spread offense. Sometimes you, you look to do some other things against it as well. When they do take the field against Mississippi State, they're going to have Emory back in the fold, which is going to help them considerably. And Kelly elaborated about having that young man and kind of a missing piece for the offense. Yeah, we're excited about getting John back, certainly, and I'm excited for him. You know, it's been a long run for John in terms of getting a chance to, you know, get out and and, and play for LSU. He's worked hard to get back into this position, and now he gets an opportunity. Now, let's let's be careful now. He's he's been off for a while, you know, to put a lot of expectations on him in the first game. We certainly can't do that. You know, we've got other backs that have done really well, but he will be part of the mix. And make no mistake about it, we've seen his capabilities in camp. We've kept him active within our rotation, so he's ready to play. and we did that with, you know, obviously our, our mind eyes toward the SEC competition coming up. So we're excited to get him back. I think people need to temper their expectations when it comes to John Emery. He was never 
He never took over a game when he was in the mix. And he didn't play at all last year. He's practiced. He stayed in shape. He's conditioned. That's great. He hasn't played. Has not played. The offensive line is still a work in progress. They reshuffled it to make it look, and it looked better. But once again, that was against Southern. It looked awful against Florida State. It looked far better against Southern after they reshuffled it. Are though, is that, that reshuffling of the line, is that going to work against Mississippi State? Is that going to work against Auburn or Florida or Alabama? Well, we don't know. So there's a lots of question marks still, and I also don't think that you're going to see John Emery have a huge workload either because it's going to be his first game. He's going to get touches. He's going to be in the mix, but it's going to be a while. And the expectation should be kind of lowered a little bit. Thinking this guy's going to come out to shoot, so to speak, and you know put up a 125 all-purpose yards and a couple of scores is just not real reality. He's not the missing piece for LSU. Good player, has the potential, rather, to be a good player. But it's going to take a little while. Now, getting a win on Saturday, wow, that would change things. That would change the narrative about this team, at least temporarily, where you say, okay, they had a rough start. They lost a game they should have won against Florida State. They bounced back against Southern, and then they open up SEC play with a victory. How much would that do to change the narrative, so to speak, right? Well, Brian Kelly talked about what would happen if they got a win on Saturday for the confidence. You know, every game that they play, our guys, is is going to be an opportunity for growth. And you want that growth to happen through success because success obviously breeds confidence. And confidence then is an accelerator in, in what you're doing, right? Everybody can move forward. Uh, everybody tends to question themselves uh, if, if the outcomes aren't right. So, yes to your question, but we're not going into the game, you know, looking at it from that perspective. Really, I'm going into this game with the challenge of how we prepare differently this week. We have to have a better week of preparation than we did last week because the competition is keener and better. We have to get our guys to elevate that preparation. That's what I'll be looking for. And if we get that, we'll play much better and the outcome will probably be where we need it to be. Saying all the right things there. Saying all the right things. We'll see. I've said this before. This was going to be a transition season. The Florida State loss hurts. But this was going to be a seven-win team, kind of eight-win team at max. Once again, only 38 scholarship players when he took over. That's, That's how many scholarship players they had for the bowl game. They had to take a converted wide receiver and have him play quarterback. Not exactly great. It's going to take a while to turn things around in Death Valley. Hey, are you ready for week two of Thursday Night Football? First week of NFL action now in the books. We can start turning the page to Thursday night. Because you can get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. New customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? 
Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on Los Angeles or Kansas City to win. If your team leads by seven points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use promo code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's right, any football game. That's code 1037GAME, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 years of age to play physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus issued as a free bet. One early win token issued at opt-in. Money line bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions do apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles. And if you have a gambling problem or know someone who does, call 1-877-770-STOP. We got to take a stop ourselves. Time for us to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one, update the poll question of the day. All right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. What would you have done in last night's Monday night football game, the first one of the season? A game won by the Seattle Seahawks over the Denver Broncos. Once again, let's paint the picture. More than a minute remaining on the clock. Timeouts still in the back pocket for Hackett, the Denver coach. Russell Wilson, 10-year NFL vet, Super Bowl champion, Pro Bowler, MVP candidate, $250 money. Fourth and five or fourth and four. And you decide, let's waste all the time on the clock. Don't use our timeouts. And instead of having our guy who has more than 30 game-winning drives in the fourth quarter or overtime in his career, something he's known for, we are going to trot out a kicker who's never made a kick more longer than 62 yards and going to have him attempt a 64-yard field goal. Ooh. As our friend Jim Gozolo says, woof. 81% of you say go for it on fourth down. 19% say attempt the 64-yard field goal. <laughs> Let's get to some comments. John Paul Cajun Daddy, guarantee was not awake at the end of the game. You know how early we all get up. <laughs> Bravo. Bravo, John Paul. You're not wrong. Ralph Bergeron on Twitter says, personally, would have called Mama Boucher for advice. Should we try 64-yard field goal, Mama? No, you're going to lose <laughs> your fancy foosball games. Poll question should have been, what are you going to get RP3 for his birthday? Have a happy birthday, Ray Ray. Thank you, Ralph. Told him it should have been about birthday cake. We can make it birthday cake tomorrow for the foodie poll question of the week. Five names. I will concede. I will concede. Joe Cola says kicker had distance both times. Go for the field goal to miss. Go for it on fourth down and you don't make it. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Tough decision, and he's a coach. Keep in mind how many times they've been shut down, fumbled on short yardage. That's a fair point by our good friend Joe Cola, but you got to go for it. Look what the Giants did, and it paid off. Plus, you still had your timeouts. You could still got the ball back. I just That's the point of it. If he didn't have any timeouts, sure, but he still had timeouts, and he didn't use them. That's bad clock management. we got to take a timeout. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two. We'll kick it off with Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast. That's coming up next right here 
on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Framer Valdez put on quite a show, and he's been doing it all season long. First-time All-Star, the number two ace for the Houston Astros, got his 15th win of the season last night, and his first career shutout. Went out there and just mowed down the Detroit Tigers and extends his quality start streak as well. Now it's tied with Jacob deGrom for the most quality consecutive starts in modern Major League Baseball history. DeGrom set that, I do believe, back in 2018. And the Strohs, by the way, get their 91st win of the season. Jeremy Pena got uh, some hits as well. He looks like he's starting to turn a corner, which is great heading towards the postseason. To break it all down for us is the man who's the co-host of the Locked on Astros podcast. Brett Chancy joins us to lead off our number two here on RP3 and company. Brett, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm doing good. And what better birthday present would RP3 have if it weren't for Framber Valdez to tie a major league record? So I just wanted to um, tip my cap to you, sir. Hope you have a great day. And it is such a great thing to talk about Framber Valdez. And can we start talking about him in the Cy Young candidacy Please, can we get more national media attention on Framber Valdez, please? I know we have Justin Verlander, but Framber Valdez, out of his 27 games started, has 25 quality starts, 24 of those being consecutive. You cannot ignore the monstrous season. Framber Valdez is an absolute ace on just about every ball club in this league, hands down. If you don't have a Framber, if you don't have a Garrett Cole, Framber is the number one guy no matter where you go. Let me ask you this. I think he deserves to be part of the Cy Young conversation. He's going to take some votes away probably from Justin Verlander. I still think Verlander is going to win the award. But it's a breakout season for Framer. Framber, does this allow – the Astros moving forward because we don't know how negotiations are going to go with Verlander because he becomes a free agent after the season. Do they have their number one ace in their back pocket in case Verlander doesn't come back? Oh, I think that's without a doubt the conversation. And as much as Houston fans or Astros fans across the globe would love to have Justin Verlander back, as I know I would, um, Fremont Valdez actually is your ace because of the age because of where Verlander is in his career. You you would love to to have a treasure trove of resources like Verlander to remain, but if he's not there, this team still has one of the most formidable pitching rotations in all of baseball, and Framber is your ace in the hole. 
he continues the consecutive quality win start. He was phenomenal. But I want to talk about somebody else who had a good night as well, and that's Jeremy Pena. You're starting to see him. It feels like he's turning a corner. I know he had a really good night last night. What do you think about the the rook playing shortstop? He had a great start to the season, slowed down. They started throwing him change-ups. He didn't know how to hit them. But he seems like he's kind of, I don't know, learned on the fly and starting to turn a corner a little bit. Exactly. And a lot of his hits have come off breaking pitches. In his last 12 games, he's hitting 340. He's got 18 hits, one homer, three RBI, and seven runs scored. And what more can you ask for um, on the best team in the American League? And what a time to figure things out. For him, I believe the kid has the confidence. I believe he has the mental makeup to be successful in the postseason. And so now he gets to take his taxi squad experience from last year when they brought him up to his ups and his downs this year. And like you mentioned, him getting hot right now is the perfect time of the year. And going into the playoffs with confidence with such a young player, completely being out of the shadow of Carlos Correa, I think Jeremy Pena, we may see him have some key playoff moments when it comes to the postseason, even as soon as the ALDS. Jeremy's playing well. Jose Altuve is, you know, I just get on Twitter. and I've been making it a tradition. Every time the Astros play, I get on Twitter, and usually nine times out of ten, I'll see the legend continues. <laughs> the legend of Altuve continues. They needed him to kind of step up in a big way. Bregman has been playing better, even though he's been in a bit of a lull of late. But he turned his season around. Alvarez struggling with the power, even though he had a home run the other day. They needed Altuve to kind of set the table. They needed him to be the leader, to be the face of this franchise, didn't they? Yes, they do need that. And, you know, I think a lot of people will say, as Alvarez goes, this offense goes, and I get that. But really, Altuve is your leader. Altuve is your modern-day Craig Biggio. Like, when when I was in high school, when I was in college, Craig Biggio was that guy. And you can't, you can't imagine back then a lineup without Biggio. I can't imagine Nashville's lineup without Altuve. Altuve, because of what he brings to the game, because of his just he has fun with the game, he celebrates other players, but going two for five and getting on base and you know, I mean, let's talk about this. The Astros also have been hitting with runners in scoring position. And in their last 20 at-bats, they're 9 for 20. And so they're hitting 450 these last two games. Altuve absolutely needs to be a part of that. And I think for a successful postseason run in a World Series, um, Altuve needs to be leading the charge. Because look at that. Altuve is 2 for 5. Peña was 3 for 5. Alvarez was 2 for 4. If those three are collecting that many hits at the top of the lineup, I'll be real honest that even the Dodgers need to be be aware that the Houston Astros are coming. <laughs> We're talking with Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here in RP3 and company. What about the big fella? Let's talk about him. He did get a dinger the other day. I Look, I think he's going to be, what, 70%, probably 70 75% of what he is. 
He probably needs surgery. I'm not a doctor, but it sure does look like a guy that's holding off on having surgery until the offseason because his team's a World Series contender. If they were the Pirates, he'd be under the knife and be out for the rest of the year. What do you make of how they've been utilizing him and how much of a role do you think he can actually play and how much of an impact can he have for the Strohs down the stretch? Well, you know, every time I every time I lean towards the towards that mindset that that you just shared because I've shared that same opinion. It's it's publicly out there on YouTube. It's publicly out there on my Twitter feed. I, I'm not convinced he's 100. percent I don't know. It seems like it's a top hand issue because two there were two games in a row this last weekend, and I was we were at the Saturday game. When he when he hit the baseball to center field, even though the exit velo was decent, it was like the ball died. And I think it was Sunday where he got one over the center field wall. But to me, he's not hitting with the same power. Now, like you said, it may be something where surgery is inevitable. But I'm thinking, let's look at this. If it were that bad, if it were that big of a concern, I don't think he'd be playing left field. I don't. I think he would be strictly DH, and that's it. So the fact that he's playing left field to me is promising, and it may be a mental thing. Um, you know, we can't ignore that his parents have been in town with him the whole time. Um, they're getting to see him play Major League Baseball for the first time in his career, and I don't know if that plays a factor. And I know Jordan and these guys aren't ones to make excuses. I'm not trying to make excuses for him, but I would not be shocked if he did have some sort of hand surgery in the offseason. And they may be – I would think they'd be playing it safer, though. I'm starting to wonder if this is a mentality thing. But I'm just – just like you, I'm not a doctor. It's really hard for me to say right now because he just doesn't still seem to be himself. But seeing him go two for four is encouraging, even if it's the Detroit Tigers. It is the Detroit Tigers, and that's who they play. And we talked about this uh, a few weeks back, Brett, and we'll wrap it up with this, that this team has an opportunity because they're playing weaker opponents down the stretch. The, the tough slate, if you will, is done. But as it's been proven with the Strohs, in particular the last couple of years, they always rise up to beat the really good teams, and then they kind of fall against teams they should murder. So what do you want to see from this team this week as they you know, wrap up this series against the Detroit Tigers? I just want to see, um, I believe we have um, the, yeah, we got the rookie right-hander, Hunter Brown, Justin Verlander 2.0. I want to see Hunter Brown's homecoming to be an absolute splash. And this offense continue to back him. I mean, they're going against Drew Hutchinson tonight, who's 2-7. and seven. So... I think the Astros keep keep the pedal to the metal, and I think these Astros are motivated, and they have a confidence that that I'm starting to see, and they look like they're ready to play playoff baseball. So I think the Astros will continue to um, see this offense kind of in a slight uptick, and I think you'll start seeing more production out of the bats. And if they continue to hit with runners in scoring position, um, they're just going to be primed for the playoffs in a well-oiled machine when the, when the games really, really count. Brett, appreciate your time as always. Brother, tell the people how they can follow you on social media and where they can go to get all the great stuff that you and your team are doing with Locked On Astros. 
Yes, sir. We're at YouTube. Um, you can subscribe to us. Just go to Locked On Astros. You can hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can even hit us up on TikTok. And then you can hit me um, up at H-Town Wheelhouse on Twitter, on Instagram, TikTok as well. So check us out on all media platforms. Interact with us. Join us live for our shows. And we would love to see you guys become a part of Locked On Astros Nation. And let's go win the 2022 World Series. Brett, appreciate your time. Bud, talk to you next Tuesday, brother. Enjoy your week. You too. Time is running out for you to score tickets to see the Houston Astros live in person. That's right. Our final Astros weekend giveaway of the season is here, and time is ticking away. Go register in the Game Rewards Club to win yourself four tickets to see Houston take on Tampa Bay Saturday, October the 1st. That's right. Ray Strohs inside the big juice box. We're even going to throw in a tour of the ballpark, hotel accommodations for that Saturday night. This is the final Astros weekend giveaway of the regular season. Astro weekend getaways are powered by Butcher AC, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got to take a time out when we return. It'll be time talking culture with Coach Dez, the man in charge of the Raging Cajuns. That's next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. 180! What's up? Raging Cajuns head football coach Michael Desimo joins RP3 and company to talk all things Vermillion and White. It's time for Hashtag UL Culture with Coach Dez. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How you feeling? I'm good, man. Good morning, Raymond. It's got to be feeling good to be 2-0 and on the season, brother. I know there's things to work on. I know there's things that you and your staff aren't happy about and that you're, you know, getting the guys to improve. But how do you feel so far about your team through the first two weeks of the season? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's not that things that you're unhappy with. You know, um, it, it's just, you know, we're, we're not where we want to be, you know, in, in the long run and in the end. So, I mean, um this team, I mean, I'm really proud of, of, of the grit that they've got and the, the fight that they have in them, um, you know, that they stay together, they believe in each other. All those things are things that, that just help you and, and let you know that down the line you're, you're going to end up with a really good team. But, you know, I mean, I, I think anybody would tell you that in week two and week three, you know, you're not nearly the team that, you know, that you are in the end, you know, when the season wraps up. And, you know, for our goal is every week to see how far we can take it. Um you know, how much can we get out of this team and how far can we go? And, and um, you know, if we can reach our potential, I think it'll be a really good year with this group. You played a very good half of offensive football in the opener. Then you played a sensational second half in the second game where you scored 49 points. It sure does feel like you guys are getting closer and closer to playing a complete game, so to speak, Coach. Does it feel that way from your perspective? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think – you know, the thing that, that's good about it, right, is whenever you, you go back and you watch the tape and you look at it, there um, there's no doubt the team that we can be, right? We, we have the ability to be that type of team, and you see it flash and you see it show up. But, you know, you really are what you do consistently. And that's where we gotta we got to figure out that consistency. And we got to do, a, um, you know, we got to do a great job as coaches um, of making sure we get them, you know, in the right plays, make sure we got them in the right you know, uh, calls that we want to be in. 
and then as players, you know, they've got to provide the, the consistency and they've got to provide the communication and the detail to kind of get it going. But, yeah, I mean, I think we're getting closer, Raymond. I mean, I think from week one to week two, you want to see improvement. We certainly did. Um, you know, and, and hopefully that second half is – hopefully the second half is us figuring it out, right? It's not um, It's not just another, you know, kind of – kind of flash in the pan where we say man that's what we could be you know hopefully that's kind of the uh the standard now that we're going to try to duplicate every week and every half coach you had a good laugh uh saturday night there in the postgame presser where you said hey i tried to tell y'all have two really good quarterbacks and and so far they have both stepped up and performed extremely well for you you played this position you played it at a high level. You were a great player, a great quarterback. What do you see with the two guys that you have that line up under center for the Cajuns this season? I mean, you just you see two guys that, you know, all along, I don't think anyone in our building questioned either of them, their ability or their desire to, uh, to go out there and go compete at a high level, you know, and that, that's, they've worked really hard for to go out there and go play well and they continue to work hard. And that's, that's why they're playing well. You know, um, I think Chandler, um, you know, I love, I mean, the guy makes plays that no one else can make, you know, I mean, on one of the third downs, we, we ran a naked back to back to his right. You know, he rolls out the end widened. I mean, he had him dead to right. He pulls up, stands in there, throws a dart down the field to MJ and gets hit while he's throwing it. I mean, not many people can make those throws, you know, um, and then Ben, I mean, Ben's just so, you know, it's, it's, it's like surgical, you know I mean? He just, he knows exactly what he's thinking every play, pre-snap, post-snap, he's got a plan. Um, and, and he just, he really does a good job, man. He just puts the ball where it needs to go. And, you know, he makes good decisions. There's just not very many misreads and, and really he threw the ball really well on Saturday also. So, um, you know, I'm proud of him. I, I think, I think playing both of them is good for us in the long run. Um, you know, if Ben ever does have to play and have to be the guy, I mean, our team, you know, they can they can be 100% confident that he'll go out there and go play well, and so can he because, you know, he's, he's been doing it. So I think there's there's a lot of value in the way we're doing it. Um, you know, there, there's no there's no controversy. There's no, I mean, it's, you know, Chandler's the starter and Ben's the backup, and, and I think that that's worked out really well. And I think the series, you know, two or three series a game, I think that's more than fair. Um, you know, as long as Ben continues to play well, and I expect that he will. We're talking with Coach Dez, the man in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns football program. He joins us here at RP3 and Company. All right, let's talk about your offensive line because lots of turnover from last year and guys that had some experience are getting in there and stepping up. But it always takes a while. And I always say that to fans that expect it you know, oh, well, you know, the, you know, the offensive line's got to play. It, it takes a while usually for the O-line coach to kind of develop and develop that chemistry, and they usually really kind of start hitting their stride about the quarter point of the season. Uh, what do you feel about your offensive line and how they've really kind of come together and played as a unit overall? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with where they're at right now. You know, um, going into the season, you know, certainly – that was probably one of the big question marks for everybody. I mean, and, and us included really, you know, I mean, 
you always try to spin things in a positive, and, and really it's as much for anything. It's to kind of, you know, let your kids know you believe in them. You know, and, and Rubio, yeah, he was going to be a starter last year. Jax was probably going to be a starter last year. Um, you know, Nathan did start some games at the end of the year. Um, and David Hudson did start some in the middle of the year. But none of them have had the accumulation of reps that we've kind of had, you know, really – it's really been a couple of years because truthfully last year was the same. If you remember Ray, I mean, last year we didn't play very well early in the year at all offensively. Um, and a lot of that was, you know, we were just out of sync. So, I mean, I think these guys have done a better job um, than maybe what I thought they were going to do um, early on. You know, I do think I've always felt that group is a good, is a good group and they can be, um, but they do a great job, man. They make adjustments. They're, they're, they know what they're seeing. They can give you information on the sideline. The communication with them has been very good. And, and really, you know, I mean, they've uh, they played really well. You know, the second half of that game, Saturday night, I mean, they were they were imposing their will, um, and it was it was a lot of fun to see because that's something that I do think that group can do. Um, and it was just fun to see them actually go out there and do it. So you know, we've been playing seven guys. They've been playing really well. Um, we're going to add Landon Burton back to the mix, which uh, which puts us at eight. Which is, you know, you always hope that you have eight that are, you know, that are ready to go. So I think, you know, I think hopefully once we can get Landon in shape, and hopefully we can keep these guys healthy and just keep getting better, because I, I do think that group's got the potential to be good. Let's talk about your defense. It's obviously a strength. You have a lot of veteran leadership on that side of the football with Zion and Andre and Braylon Trahan and others, Coach and they've played extremely well, and they step up and they force a ton of turnovers. Do you expect this unit, and do you demand that side of the football to to force as many turnovers as they do? Um, well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's one of the, you know, that's one of the, it doesn't matter who you are or really what you believe. I mean, it's a fact. One of the biggest, you know, factors in determining wins and losses is turnover ratio, and, uh you know, I, I said it before, you know, I think you, you get what you, you know, you get what you emphasize, right? You get what you, what you really work. And for us, you know, ball security is, you know, it's the most important thing. I tell the players on offense all the time, the most important thing in football is the ball. And, um, you know, we do, we do all kinds of different things. I mean, we'll, uh, you know, we do ball tackle circuits. We do ball security circuits where it's just offense. We do tackle circuits where it's just the defense and it's about ball disruption and, you know, we, uh, we we put them in a bunch of different scenarios, but I think the biggest thing is that you know, our coaches do a great job um, of coaching on defense opportunities to get a ball loose, to punch it loose, or, you know, there's a bunch of different techniques that we call them that we use. Uh, they do a great job of showing the opportunities to do it, um, praising when they do, um, you know, and then teach them what they can do different to actually get it out and then offensively. Um, it's not just about any time there's a fumble, you, you correct it. Um, anytime there's potential for a fumble, you correct it. Anytime the ball is loose, anytime the, the wrist is, is below the elbow, anytime that the back door is open when your elbow is out wide. I mean, all those things are things that when you see them, you have to correct them. Um, you don't just wait till there's a problem. You have to do it in the moment whenever there's an opportunity to do it. And you have to show them and tell them and teach them. Um, otherwise, if you let it happen, it's going to continue to happen. And eventually, you know, if you lose with the ball and you don't do things right, you go long enough, you're going to fumble and you're going to cough one up. And, um, you know, I, I kind of said this after the second scrimmage. Someone was asking about our, the turnovers. We fumbled a couple times in the scrimmage. And, 
you know, said something about a fumbling problem. I, I don't think there's a such thing as a fumbling problem. You know, you, you have technical problems that lead to fumbles, and you know, you, you can make it a big deal if you want to, or you can fix fix the technical problems, and and then you, you know, and then you move forward. So, you know, that that's been a great thing. That's been certainly been a bright spot for us is our defense forcing turnovers. Um, and it's a group that, truthfully, yeah, I I did. I expected those guys to play really well this year. That group. Um, I, I truthfully expected them to have to carry us maybe a little bit more than what been you know than what they have you know so far in the first two games. Um, but that first half, I mean, there is no doubt. You know, if those guys didn't show up and didn't have that maturity. I mean, the first half that that could have been you know it could have been fatal for us. Wrapping it up with Coach Des here. All right, Coach, two and zero. But now you have to take your first road trip of the season. You go over to Houston to take on a Rice team that uh, just got their first win of the season, defeating uh, the McNeese State Cowboys. We talked about it in the presser. You know, they got a big physical uh, defensive line. They got some big fellows on the line of scrimmage. What is the, what's the biggest challenge that the Rice Owls present you on Saturday night there in Houston? Yeah, I think they're a little bit unique. Um, you know, particularly their offense is unique. That They run, you know, they really run like a different offense. And I know it sounds kind of funny, but like most, most teams really run a lot of the same stuff, right? They run zone concepts, you know, whether that be inside or outside and split flow. And they'll, they'll have some couple gap plays, maybe a counter, GY counter, GT counter. Um, but these guys actually, they'll play a lot of sets with a, with a true fullback. And so that, that means two back power, which we don't see a whole lot of, um, you know, and, and stretch and lead and things like that. So like that, they're, they're a little bit unique and, um, and, and what they're able to do on offense because they use a different personnel groupings. Um, and again, I mean, you know, they're going to try to establish the run and try to be really physical. And I think that's something that our D line has done a great job so far. And they, they've got to play well um, again for us to, you know, to go out there and go have success. And then I think offensively, you know, they do have a good, they have a good D line. I think number 91, I think is one of the best, you know, one of the best D linemen that we're going to play this year, um, the DN. I mean, I, I think he's he's a real problem. Um, they've got some guys inside with with good size that you know that that can hold a point. You know, but I think what makes them a little bit unique and, and probably different than what I thought they were going to be is they, there's not many gimmies on the outside. You know, they they're corners that they play really good ball. They they play press. They play man. They don't give you any easy ones. Um, in the last couple of weeks, you know, we had somewhere they'll, they'll kind of give you some stuff underneath, and and that helps maybe to get you going a little bit. But these guys don't. They contest everything. So, um, you know, we're going to have to, you know, obviously be physical at the point of attack. You know, we're going to have to do a great job with pad level and, and combinations and getting off to the second level. Um, and then in the passing game, we're going to have to be really precise. You know, we're going to have to win one-on-one. Um, and the quarterback's going to have to make good throws, and the receivers going to have to make contested catches. So, you know, they're they are they're a good team. Um, I think they're a really good team. I think they're coaches. I think they're really well coached. I think their their kids are disciplined. You know, you can see it on tape. They know what they're doing. They're they're very uh, in tune with the scheme. Even when there's a mistake, you can tell. You know, they're. Uh, they they know what they're supposed to do. You know, there's times sometimes where you get beat. I mean, that's football, but. Know, you can tell those guys know what they're supposed to do, and um, you know I, I think it's going to be be a heck of a game. We got to prepare well this week, Coach. Appreciate your time. Congratulations on the two-zero start to the season, and best of luck Saturday night there in Houston. And we'll talk to you next week, brother. Thank you, Ryan.
Just a reminder, it's another two-for-one deal from AcadianaDeals.com. You can score yourself a $40 voucher to Dickie's Barbecue Pit for just $20. These are running out. Once again, a $40 voucher to Dickie's Barbecue Pit, but you only have to pay $20. That's a $40 deal for half the price. Once again, visit AcadianaDeals.com. That's AcadianaDeals.com today to get you a $40 voucher to Dickie's Barbecue Pit for only $20. But time is running out. And this deal is running out. We got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, we'll update the poll question of the day. We'll open up the phone lines. Game hotline is open 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. RP3 is known for being a well-tempered and thoughtful sports journalist. The incompetence, the absolute abundance of arrogance from Rob Manford makes me want to punch him in his throat. Okay, well, we all have our bad days. I'm not kidding. If he was right here in the studio, I would walk up to him and throw him a punch. Well, let's all hope he took his meds today. Back to hopefully a calm and collected RP3. On the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports Sports station. station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Back-to-back interviews to start off our number two here on the show. Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast, talking all things Stros, And then Coach Dez with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And that's how that's going to be every Tuesday, especially here for the next month or so, as we give you your Astros and your Cajuns fix back-to-back to start off our number two. Open segment here on RP3 and Company. It's always a good time. Love to hear from you. You want to talk about what Brian Kelly had to say at his presser? Salty Steve has already chimed in via the direct message. Not a fan of Brian Kelly. <laughs> he lets he lets his feelings be known pretty clear about his thoughts on Brian Kelly. You want to talk Brian Kelly presser? You want to talk Raging Cajuns? You want to talk Astros? You want to talk the bazonkers? Ending to the Monday night football game where they opted not to use their timeouts, let time run down, not let Russell Wilson go for it on fourth and five, and instead kick a 64-yard field goal. By the way, only two field goals, more than 62 yards since 1991 have ever been made. That leads us to our poll question of the day, which is all about what would you have done? That's the big question. What would you have done? Would you have gone for it? Would you let Russ try to pick it up? And then if he doesn't, okay, then you burn your timeouts and get the ball back again? Or do you try the record-setting 64-yard kick? Right now, 84% of you say go for it on fourth and four. 16% say attempt the 64-yard field goal. Brad says... Attempting a 64-yarder in that situation is highly questionable, to say the least. I would be equally critical of a doctor planning to perform brain surgery on himself. (laughs) I can always count on (laughs) y'all. John Paul, 
commented yet again. Also, game in Seattle, way too thick of air. Maybe in Denver, you try the 64-yarder, but not in Seattle. That's what I brought up earlier. Did Hackett believe that he was back in Denver and not in Seattle? The elevation so much higher there in the Mile High City that the ball sails. So some of the, the most record-setting kicks of all time have occurred in Denver because of that. But they played the game in Seattle, not Denver, just so everyone is on board. Hootat Forever says, I just don't understand the decision process. You trust your kicker to hit a 64-yard field goal at an altitude rather than trust your $200 million quarterback to pick up five yards? There's got to be more to it than we just don't know. I just think, Hootat Forever, thank you for the comment. I just think it's a situation of a rookie head coach and the moment got to him. Right? The, the, the moment was a little too big for the coach. And this happens, we see it all the time, even with the most veteran coaches, that it happens and that they kind of stumble there when they have the opportunity to make the right decision. And look, once again, if he doesn't pick it up on fourth down, you have your timeouts, you take them then, and then get the ball back. And then try the desperation 64-yard field goal attempt. The guy had the leg, it's just hard to be accurate from that far out. It just is. just is let's take a moment here got to give a shout out to the producer extraordinaire miss hannah five names for coordinating secretly with my wife and my daughter so while i was interviewing coach des all of a sudden i see the little face pop up i hear a knock on the door and i'm like who is knocking i thought for a minute it was a sales guy you go, you know I'm on the air, right? And turn around, and it's the little precious one who just turned eight. On Saturday, we had our birthday party, and my wife. Typically, you know, they're having to get ready to take her to school at Grand Coteau Elementary. But they woke up early and surprised me and coordinated with Hannah to bring me breakfast. They brought me a kolache, and they brought me donuts and chocolate milk, of course, because I love chocolate milk. Because I'm still a kid. Even though I am the big 4-4 today. 44 years old. So it was a nice surprise. So shout out to Hannah, the producer extraordinaire. She must have felt bad for me after her Mariners took two or three from my Braves. And then she crushed my face in fantasy football this week. But it was great to see my wife and my daughter. I rarely ever get to see my little one in the mornings because I'm already here. So I never get to take her to school. When she was young, that's what it was. Like, I was in charge in the mornings. I stayed at home with our daughter. My wife got the great job opportunity. We moved from Texas back to Louisiana. And I just did freelance work for like the first seven, eight months. And I just took care of Hattie. And we just hang out and I'd take her on freelance assignments. And, and then even after that, even when I got a job back in the newspaper business, I would be the one to take her to daycare. And Tina would be the one to pick her up. So, you know, since we've shifted and I've been here at the station, you know, it's, it's flipped where it's gone from Tina gets to wake up with her in the morning and take her to school and get her ready, and then I'm the one to pick her up every day. So get to see the kid on my birthday. It's nice. And then there was some impromptu happy birthday singing as well during the commercial break. Yes. So you've been selling high birthday 
Three times? <laughs> yes, by you and Steve, by our friends, the Austins on the air on our sister station news talk, and by my wife and daughter. Yes, and uh, not to brag or anything, not to flex up as we like to say in the biz, but I got a uh, pink unicorn eraser now that was given to me from my daughter who of course was given to her on her birthday by you so i have a pink unicorn eraser and it fits in quite lovely here in the uh studio for the sports talk station yeah we'll put over the the raging cajun's helmet we'll just... yeah just we'll just set it back behind there just <laughs> just have it set up hey look what's going on i don't know the pink unicorn's name though so i'll have to I'll have to find out about i'm gonna that. guess because of what i it, know your other stuff animals are pinky? for hattie i'm saying pinky too <laughs> yeah. i'm thinking i'm thinking the eraser is going to be called pinky by yeah. the way yeah, pinky so a great great start to my birthday so thank you for setting that up and shout out to my wife and my daughter for stopping by work for the surprise visit if you will. Yes. If if Krispy Kreme was any closer, we could have gotten Krispy Kreme, <laughs> but uh, it's a little bit too far. I'm officially Henry Aaron old. Hammer and Hank. The greatest brave of all time. Got it. The legend. You're the real the real home run champion. He wore forty four. So you're sev- you were born at seven forty seven in the morning? That you're saying? You said you're officially? No. No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> no. No, I won't be on. I think I was born in the afternoon. Mm. If I, uh, well, I don't remember. But 10, if I remember. at night. Yes. I remember what my mother told me. Yes. So, so yes. So, yeah. Hank wore 44. So, I'm officially uh, 44. 44 years old. Woo! I don't look a day over 60. <laughs> We got to take a timeout. When we return here at RP3 and Company, we'll wrap up hour number two. We'll get you set up for hour number three. We got two great guests to kick off hour number three. We'll tell you all about that next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, week one is in the books for NFL, and it came down to some... Oh, terrible time management, clock management, an issue that's as old as time in the NFL. But are you ready for week two of Thursday night football? You can get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the National Football League. New customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get themselves $200 and free bets instantly. Do you want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on Los Angeles or Kansas City to win. If your team leads by seven at any point during the game, you're going to get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sports app today. Use promo code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1037GAME, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. You must be 21 years of age to play, physically present in Louisiana, select parishes only, bonus issued as free bet, 
One early win token issued at opt-in. Money line bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions do apply. Eligibility and terms can be found at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partner is Golden Nugget Lake Charles. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-877-770-STOP. Poll question of the day. We asked you, what would you have done in last night's Monday night football game? Would you have tempted the 64-yard field goal? Or would you have gone for it on fourth down? Overwhelmingly, 84% of you are saying you should have went for it on fourth down. Only 16% say attempt the field goal. And look, my thing with what happened last night is very simple. You brought in Russell Wilson to win games like this. That's why you're paying him $250 to go out and win you a game like this. You have all your timeouts. Let him go and try to pick up the the first down on fourth and five. If he doesn't get it, then you can use your timeouts to try to extend the game, to try to get the ball back for a desperation drive to set up a desperation 64-yard field goal. But to mismanage the clock like he did, to waste all your time, not use your timeouts, not give the ball to your guy who you brought in to change the fortunes of the franchise because you've been struggling at the quarterback position since Payne Manning retired, went off into the sunset with a Super Bowl championship on the noodle arm of his for the final year when Brock Osweiler had to start multiple games. And you don't do that. It's the first game, rookie head coach, the moment obviously was too big for him, and it showed because they misdid that. Now, look, is Denver supposedly the far more talented team? Yes. Should they have even had the game that close to a Seattle team quarterbacked by Geno Smith? Absolutely not. But this is early in the season, and this is what makes the NFL so great because any team can win and any team can lose on any given Sunday, Monday, or Thursday. That's how the league is built, and that's what makes it so fascinating and so wildly entertaining for all of us. But the coach of the Denver Broncos screwed the pooch here, wildly mismanaged the clock, and should have went for it. Should have went for it. That's going to do it for our number two here of RP3 and Company. We'll kick off our number three with Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the new host of the Meet East Coaches Show, which debuts tomorrow night. We'll talk all things Cowboys next, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, hour number three has arrived here in RP3 and company. What better way to kick off the final hour than to talk McNeese Cowboys football and to talk with the great one? Yes, yes, yes. Not only is he the man who is the McNeese beat reporter, 
for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also host of Poke Nation, television show. He's also frequent guest host here for the game. A close personal friend of Hannah Five Names and yours truly. He's also now the host of the brand spanking new McNeese Coaches Show, which is going to make its debut tomorrow night from 6 to 7. Live from Maplewood Burgers there in Lake Charles. It's our privilege to welcome on to Mr. Big Time himself, Jim Gazzolo. Jim, good morning. How are you? Wow, that's uh, I, I should get paid more if I'm doing all that stuff. That's all I know. <laughs> I, should, I should be rolling in the dough. Rolling are, in the we dough. We are excited to, for Hannah and the Chuck. That's the whole week is Hannah and the Chuck. That's right. Hannah and RP3 will be in the Chuck for the, uh, the home opener. First game under the light since the Hurricanes, and we'll get to all that and how excited the folks are in the community about that game. But let's go back. I was, yes, we must. I was completely surprised by the final outcome of that game against Rice. I thought the way Coach Golf and his team played against Montana State, I understand they're FCS, but they played for a national championship a year ago and they hung tough with them. But they looked completely out of sorts against Rice, a team that probably would lose to Montana State. So what happened between week one and week two, and, and what did you see there covering the game in Houston on Saturday night, Jim? Uh, regression, unfortunately. Just a lot of turnovers. Um, I, they, they seemed to get big-eyed a little bit. He, Coach Goff said they didn't, but when you fumble the, when you fumble the opening exchange between quarterback and uh, running back, when your first punt goes 13 yards, when you have a wide-open receiver and miss him for a touchdown that would have made a 10-7, and on the next play throw a pick six for 91 yards, you actually had more yards uh, gained at one point early. It was down 17 nothing, which is really strange. But it's just a game that got out of hand. How... It was ugly, Ray. It was ugly. <laughs> Now that we have two we two games in this season, and it's a rebuilding yes. project, and 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 I think everyone needs to be reminded of that. That this team struggled even before the Hurricanes, struggled under yes. Frank Wilson. So it's going to take some time to turn things around. It's not going to happen overnight. I think people saw the promise or the potential of that first half against Montana State. Now you have a bad second half against Montana State. You have a, a bad game against Rice. Has that changed people's expectations? Has that changed your expectation on just how good this McNeese team can be year one under Coach Gary Golf? No, because I, as I said before, they've had four halves of football. Two, they've played very well against better competition. I think we all agree. Yes. Two, they've played competition. They've played so bad that I think Mississippi College in two weeks is coming to beat them. The problem is where where are they when they play like competition? And we'll see that Saturday. Saturday's a big night now because it's the real kind of a rebirth of can they make a good first, second impression? In other words, this is what we're going to see. This is like competition. 
this is our level. What are we going to do against Alcorn? Let's start there because Alcorn is struggling a little bit as well, right? Because you did your research and you've written about this, that the two teams are 10 of 49 on third downs this season. So these are not two teams that are wildly efficient on offense. And and McNeese itself is at 15% on third down, three for 20, seven turnovers, 10 sacks allowed. So let's start about the yeah. Cowboys. Can okay. they fix uh, the turnovers and the sacks? Well, the sacks, the sacks have not been as bad as as you look at it. The offensive line play has not been as bad. The sacks have come because they're behind and they got to throw. Okay, but they've run the football in both games. They've run for two hundred plus yards, but now one of but both times they come back a little bit because. In college, your running game is your sacks. But they've gained over 200 yards on the ground in each game. Uh, they've been physically well. They get Schematically, they make mistakes on, I don't think they know their offense yet. Their quarterback play has been really atrocious. That has to get better. I think you'll see Knox Kadem starting to take more snaps this week. I think it'll be his job to lose now. Moving forward. I think there will be a running package for Cam Ransom, but I think it's going to be Knox Kadem going forward because he trusts him better. But that has to be fixed. The turnovers have to be fixed. Cause, and, and really, you cannot – they're averaging third and at almost eight. It's like 7.93 Ooh. yards per pickup. You're not getting it on a consistent basis, especially against competition that is better than you. They, they, everything that you need to do, down in distance, control the chains, run the clock. They did none of that against the better teams. And and you run into the problem of just being outmanned at that point. Run the football, Ray. Run the football. Run the football, he says. What about defensively? They, they're giving up a ton of points now. I know the offense has put them in a bad position. What do you make of what you've seen from the defense from the first two games of the season? Uh, physically, they've held up pretty well until we get to the 70-play range. Um, when, you're, when you're running, they've had 82 plays and 81 plays run against them. When you're on the field that long, and we all know that the better teams they've played, you're, gonna run out of, you're just going to run out of time and run out of energy. That's been the biggest thing. I think they've held up. The back end has held up really good. They gave up the one long touchdown with the, with the corner uh, Lewis slipped. But nobody's thrown on them, really. Um, it's been big running plays. It's been chunk yards. It hasn't been a lot of grind. So I think uh, if they can get them off the field and get a lead, they've had some sacks. They've held up pretty well. I just you – can't, you can't defend 81 plays a game. All right, let's and, t- and especially when the offense is giving you a short field to defend. Let's talk about Alcorn State. They've struggled as well out of the SWAC, but they are a perennial team to win the conference championship in the SWAC, and and they they usually usually have very good seasons. So this should be a good barometer for McNeese playing like minded competition from the same level. Yes, that that's in their kind of their same you know 
on uh, the same caliber of athletes, same caliber of talent. So what's going to be the key for McNeese Saturday when the Alcorn State Braves come to town? Uh, Alcorn's not going to throw the football. So it is control. whoever controls the line of scrimmage. This is going to be this is going to be the old type game that I like, the three yards and a cloud of dust. Yes, let's do it. Uh, I, I, I was a play that way, but that's, I think, going to be the big factor because both teams run the football well. Neither throws the ball well. And both defenses, I think Lisa's defense is probably a little better, a little more experienced. Alcorn is a little younger. But Alcorn could do some things that, that are going to make it. They've played McNeese well. Now, they're 0-4 against them, but the last game was 17-14. I think the time before that was 24-22. So I think it's a really good test, and it's really going to be a good test to are they taking any steps forward? Because I think that the, the thing that got to me most was they really took no steps forward from week one to week two. I did not see a better football team. And now will they get energy from the night? Will they play better? Will they play harder? I think they've always played hard. They just haven't played well. Drop passes, missed assignments. Um, the effort is know, there, what you're saying, Jim. The execution isn't. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, and he, he will say it. Um, Coach Goff will say our execution and our better players and our more experienced players have not executed well. And I think that he, he was – he was pretty honest after the game. He was like, I'm speechless. I'm kind of at a loss. I'm the guy that has to have the answers, and I don't have the answers right now. i got to look at the tape. But our better players have got to play better because they're not playing well right now. We're talking with Jim Gazzolo. He covers the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show, which will debut tomorrow night from 6 to 7 right here on yeah, the game. That'll be a fun one, won't it? It will be a fun one, brother. It will be a fun one. So let's uh, let's wrap it up and let's talk about what the what we expect the environment to be. Look, you and I were there side by side for both seasons last year in the spring and the fall. Still recovering from the hurricane. Still recovering from the APR. Still recovering from Frank Wilson coaching, and it was a struggle. Right? It, it, it was a struggle, but they at least had a team to root for. New guy in charge. They finally get to have games under the lights. What do we expect the energy and the environment to be Saturday night for the first night game at the hole in years? Not only the first night game, the first night game since 2019. First night, 7 o'clock, the traditional McNeese kickoff since 2014. And all I've heard about is people have said, I want to see night games. The tailgating has sold out. The sellouts for the suites are there. Uh, ticket sales are good, uh, but the season tickets are not great. I think that more people will do a game-by-game game and see what they've got here. But I think the atmosphere will be good because the tailgating will be good. Every tradition is being brought back, I'm told. So the, they're going to put on a show. Um whether people buy it or not, I think people will give it a shot. I think they will give it a look, uh, but I think they want to see what they got. <laughs> but they don't—they didn't like the six. Remember, they—they they still drew sixty-five hundred. Yeah. For six o'clock, they still led the Southland Conference at noon. 
They outdrew national champion Sam Houston State at noon. So there's enough interest there. I think we'll get a good crowd. I think a lot of it will be a let's see what we really got here crowd, though. Let's talk about the McNeese Coaches Show which is going to be launching tomorrow night there in Lake Charles at Maplewood Burgers. It's an exciting time. They haven't had a coaches show in years. (laughs) You, of course, are our host for this weekly call-in show, and that will run from football season through basketball all the way until baseball and softball season. We can't get enough of the great Gazzolo around here, my friend. Just talk about how exciting is it to have – the the athletic department get to actually have a coaches show which most people take for granted yet they haven't had one in years and now McNeese gets to have one and the folks in Lake Charles get to hear their Cowboys on the radio well I I think it's just I think they like to be McNeese people just want to be treated like everybody else they want to they want to see their guy they want to have a show they want something that is theirs and I think the big thing here is this I used to say that McNeese Athletics used to hide behind the Dolan Fieldhouse Iron Curtain. This group has come out, and I think this is just another way of them establishing the transparency and being a part of the community. They want to be a part of the community. And I'm interested to see how many people decide that, okay, we're going to give them a look. Because there was a lot of damage done PR-wise over the last few years with this university's athletic department and that, and it's taken each square and some others really a, a, a two years to get it going and get people to believing in that they're heading the right track and people want to be here, and it's something they want to be a part of. So I think this is another level where they get to be a part of it. They get to feel like they're part of the community, they're part of the school, and I think people are excited. And, and uh, from the people I've talked to, uh, they got some questions. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Can't I wait. I don't know if I'll be able to talk. I don't know how questions lined up. Maple <laughs> Burgers and, and me. What more do you want? Burgers, Jim Gazzolo, an appearance by RP3. I'll be in the building as well. Can't wait uh, and happy that you're part of it, brother. Thank you so much for your time, and I'll see you tomorrow night, my friend. All right. We'll see you. That's the great one. Jim Gazzolo of the late Charles American Press. Hey, here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or any other reason, can be just minor landscaping, it doesn't really matter, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates. 811 is a public service, and to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, reminds you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig we gotta take a time out when we return bill bender of the sporting news will join us talking all things college football that's next right here on the game southwest louisiana sports station and you're home for the lsu tigers and houston astros we love talking about sports yeah you love listening to sports yeah sounds like we were meant to be together or at least friends with benefits aren't you glad you found us 
to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The first few weeks of college football have been kind of bananas. Not going to lie to you. Unexpected upsets. Sunbelt flexing its muscle on Saturday in particular as it took down a trio of Power 5 schools. Some teams have already fired their coach. Others are in disarray. To give us perspective on everything that's going on early on in this college football season is one of the best in the business. He's a award-winning reporter columnist from the Sporting News. It's our friend Bill Bender joins us for a few minutes here on RP3 and Company. Bill, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. All right, but let's start with the Sun Belt because it was a statement Saturday for the Group of Five conference. You have App, App State going into College Station and taking down Texas A&M. You had Marshall going into South Bend and taking down Notre Dame and Georgia Southern proving to be the final straw for Nebraska as they wrapped up 600 yards of offense against the black shirts and promptly got Scott Frost fired. Uh, what do you make of what you saw from the Sun Belt Conference? Oh, fantastic weekend. You know, I'm a Mac graduate. You, you like to see the small schools rise up like that. I mean, in, in short order, I mean, Georgia Southern, that was wild that they were able to rack up that many yards on Nebraska. Marshall, great game plan. Caught, I think they caught Notre Dame a little bit on a hangover. But, you know, Charles Huff, he's probably got a bigger job coming down the line as the next Saban assistant to get going. Um, and then App just, I mean, Raymond, just don't schedule App. I mean, how many? I wouldn't. If I was a Power 5 director and they called, I'd hang up the phone. I wouldn't text them back, say sorry. No. Um, and the stat I pulled out. Their last six games against Power 5 opponents, they've split the games, so they're 3-3, three and three, and all of the games have been decided by seven points or less. So, not like Texas A&M didn't know what they were getting into. You're right, and the, the, and the funny thing is that App State was an FCS school not that long ago either. So, uh, they've, they've made the transition to big boy football extremely uh, well. Let's stay in College Station. When I see Texas A&M play under Jimbo Fisher, who, by the way, has a worse record than Kevin Sumlin did, the man they fired and got rid of, I see an outdated offense, Bill. I don't see dynamic offense. I don't see modern offense. I don't see an adjustment that Nick Saban made at Alabama or even Kirby Kirby Smart has made at Georgia. I see Jimbo playing the same offense that he did when he was the offensive coordinator at LSU 20 years ago. Is is that's is is that what's holding them back a little bit of the is it the dated offense? I think quarterback play, you know, and a little bit to what you're saying is true. They should be better considering how uh, much talent they have. I mean, you look at the talent on their roster. They let App State play keep away. Yeah. Um, you go through the next two weeks, I mean, are they going to beat Miami? I don't know. Are they going to beat Arkansas? I don't think so. I think Arkansas uh, might be able to be the next big challenge for Alabama. Um, so it, it, it's one of those deals where I, I think that that's what I would look into. Um, 
what what can they do on the offensive side? Do they need to make a quarterback change and go with a veteran like Max Johnson, who played a lot at LSU and had a pretty good winning percentage? Um, so yeah, they're very real questions. I think that was the most stunning thing to me of the weekend is how bad they looked. Even though app, I know about app, um, how bad they looked. More stunning than Notre Dame or Nebraska, quite frankly. Let's go back to the Fighting Irish. Freeman becomes the first Notre Dame coach to lose his first three games. I think that's a little kind of an unfair stat, right, because he took over for the bowl game and you're trying to prepare for a bowl game. So, I, you know, I'm going to give him a bit of a break there. Um, what do you make of how the Irish have started off the season? They played tough, right, against Ohio State for a while, for at least a half until things got away from them, but they just came out lifeless against Marshall. They need to figure out how to run the football. It's going to be a little bit harder now that Bookner's out for the year. I think they need to figure out some game management things. Um, you mentioned unfair in the bowl game, sure. not, But you got to beat Marshall at Notre Dame. No, you can't beat Marshall at home. And and those are the losses that stuck with Brian Kelly, right? They When they lost the Navy and Tulsa and South Florida – and Cincinnati last year, they don't. He didn't lose to any other group of five schools the whole time. So, I mean, it just it's something they can build on. I think Marcus Freeman will continue to build through recruiting. You know, he's got a personality that they love, but you know that's that was the big question coming into the year. Well, can he coach? Um, and Ohio State, I'll give you know everybody's going to give him the benefit of the doubt there, but you, you can't lose to Marshall. You really can't lose to Cal this week. So. I think they just need to build momentum and get a dub and go from there. Nebraska decides to part ways with Scott Frost. Not surprising, but they could have saved a significant amount of money if they just would have waited a few weeks. But I guess Trev Albert said, we we can't do this anymore. It was a mistake to bring him back. We got to make a decision. Uh, What do you make of the timing of the firing and where do they go from here? Because, Ever since they joined the Big Ten, it seemed like an odd fit. It doesn't seem like it's really worked for them. And now they are a former world beater uh, searching for answers yet again. Yeah, you know, they they need to go somewhere where, uh, like a Matt Campbell, a Chris Kleeman. Ooh, yeah. Somewhere uh, one of the school of Dave Aranda. Um, the, The schools that he used to beat up on in the Big 12, they need to go get one of those guys because all of those programs are in better shape. Um, it does tell you something that Frost had a they, – they they basically spent $7.5 million to fire him. So, um, crazy. It, it's, it's wild that it didn't work out. I like it when guys go back to their alma mater, and, and I hate to see it not work out. But this just got off to a bad start from the beginning, uh, from, you know, you could argue – the hiring of Mark Whipple and how that meshed, the loss at Northwestern. And when you have students chanting fire frost in the stands when you're winning, that, that tells you something. One more before we let you go, bud. Alabama, Texas, uh, it proved all the doubters, it proved all the, the predictors wrong. It was a dogfight for Nick Saban's team. Texas, for long stretches of that game, looked to be the more physical team and the more focused team. What's your big takeaway from that game, and do you think Alabama is very vulnerable because of it? Um, I thought I it it was bad that Quinn Ewers got hurt because I would have liked to seen him finish that game and and where that would have went because he didn't show any fear 
he, he played very well. Um, some bad calls, but at the end of the day, Bryce Young still the Heisman winner. He was able to take them down the field when it mattered twice. Had a great. I mean, you look at his last three drives; he was on point, and uh, Texas really couldn't stop him. So I, I, I thought it was an awesome game, and I think it's a sign of things to come when Texas goes to the SEC. Nobody can rip on Texas. Alabama has two weeks to kind of figure out their flaws, especially the penalties, before they go to Arkansas because they they haven't been like a dominant road team the last two years. So Correct. they're going to have some road tests, and, and it makes them look human. Bill, appreciate your time as always, brother. Thank you for making it, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Enjoy your upcoming weekend. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks so much. That's Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Yeah, I'm fascinated. I think Freeman's personality fits what they want to do up there, but you can't lose to Marshall if you're Notre Dame. You just can't. They got to get that right, and it speaks volumes about Nebraska. It just does. Look, I'll go back to this. I've made this point before on this show. Be careful what you wish for. Nebraska had a guy in Frank Solich who was a heck of a ball coach. He led them to a national championship game. They didn't win. Nebraska fans were spoiled because of what Tom Osborne was able to do in the 90s and for his entire career. He never won a title until he had Tommy Frazier running the just triple option nightmare. That 95 Nebraska team may be the best team I've ever seen not named LSU from 2019. And they got spoiled. And then it was, hey, let's switch it up. Frank Solich is only averaging 10 and a half to 11 wins a game a year. We got to get rid of them. They got rid of them. They bring in Bill Callahan. He created the program in one year. And they've been trying to recover ever since. Bo Pelini had some success winning nine games, but he never made the transition. He never got meshed with his players or the administration or anything else. He could never get them over the hump. They won a bunch of games, but never won big games under Bo. And then they said, hey, here's the conquering hero. Scott Frost, fresh off an undefeated season at UCF where they beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl. And it's been a dumpster fire. And the same thing happened at Tennessee when they got rid of Fulmer. They went through a litany of coaches, wanted to change things. It never got back on track. It finally looks like it's back on track now after 10-plus years or longer. Same thing at Michigan. You got to be careful what you wish for. Got to be careful what you wish for. In Nebraska, they're not a good fit in the Big Ten. Doesn't feel like they're a fit. It's hard to recruit there. The game has evolved rapidly in the last 20 years. Can Nebraska get back? We've seen teams that were dynasties. The fabric of college football, USC, Alabama, go through lulls where they deal with probation, where they deal with being awful, and then all of a sudden they start winning back national titles. Can Nebraska get back to there? I just don't know if they can. I don't know if they can. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll talk some New Orleans Saints football when we return, you're listening to Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station. Oh, you got to make sure to join yours truly. That's right. RP3 and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles this Friday from noon till one at the Cigar Merchant at 10 01 Coolidge in the Oil Center. That's right. Go sign up. You know what? You don't have to sign up. You just have to come by. Come see me. I'm going to be at the Cigar Merchant. And you know what? We're pulling out the prize wheel. You remember the prize wheel from the birthday party? Where we had prizes up. You went up there. You spun the wheel. And wherever it landed, you got to win stuff. You got to win swag. You got to win tickets. Well, guess what? We're doing it again this Friday from noon to one at the Cigar Merchant. You come spin the wheel for a chance to score yourself a pair of Louisiana Raging Cajun football tickets, and you could also win a pair of LSU Tiger football tickets. So make sure this Friday you swing by the Cigar Merchant in the Oil Center, see me, RP3, and Spin the prize wheel so you can score free tickets to see UL or LSU football games this Friday, noon to one at the Cigar Merchant in the Oil Center. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Martin, who's been patiently waiting. Martin, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Happy birthday to you. I wish I was tall as you. Happy birthday. Ball, beautiful one. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, buddy. I guess it feels good turning 30 for the 50 time, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Thank you, Martin. <laughs> now, I called to give my little buddy, the, the intern extraordinaire, a little advice. Buddy, there's always next year. The season's over. Oh, that's right. Your our, fellow Cowboy fan, Moses Campos, our intern. Well, you can let Moses know that I'm a realist Cowboy fan. And <laughs> what i seen Sunday night was just a hot pile of garbage. They looked bad I mean, before I, Dak got hurt, Martin. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't, that's why I told you from, from, from day one, there's always next year. Now we're not even going to make the playoffs to choking in the playoffs. But uh, I hope my buddy Moses. And then I hear something that even makes my stomach turn even more, that the name Super Scam is being tied to the Cowboys possibly signing him. Ooh, that is the rumor mill. First of all, Jerry Jones or one of his sons has said that they expect Dak to be back within like four weeks, which I just don't understand how that's going to happen. But – I've also heard rumors, and I've seen rumors online, Martin, that Cam Newton has been linked to the Dallas Cowboys as an emergency replacement quarterback. Well, hold up a few seconds while I don't do a backflip on that one. Uh, 
<laughs> I definitely won't be buying a Scam Newton jersey, but uh, well, at least my tied one, you know. And I gotta, if there's any, any, any Texas A&M fans listening to this radio show right now, good luck when y'all come to Brian Denny Stadium because we're gonna hang an 80 on y'all. But uh, <laughs> at least I got that to look forward to. But uh, I'm already looking forward to the draft. Hopefully, uh, we can draft uh, Will Anderson. And in a later round, drive that tight end out of Georgia. I think he'd be a perfect fit for us. But, Moses, I'm going to save you a lot of heartache right now. The season's over, buddy. <laughs> Look forward to next season. And have yourself a very great, great birthday today, my buddy. Thank you, Martin. Appreciate the phone call. And we Martin. them girls. We them girls. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Poor Martin. Yeah, you know. Yeah, being a Cowboy fan is rough, right? Because he, here's the problem for Dallas. Unlike, say, Washington, my team, I, the fans, the Washington fans hate their owner. They are hoping and praying that the NFL takes the team away from said owner for a litany of different things. Raw sewage being poured on the his own fans in the home stadium. The fact that the turf shredded RG3's you know, knee and he didn't do anything to fix it. The fact that he meddles. The fact that he treats the football team like it's one of his Six Flags amusement parks. Uh, all the sexual harassment. You know, it's a litany of different things. We despise our team. And Washington fans have gotten to the point where they've stopped going to games. Dallas fans, it's different. They still come out. They still buy all the gear. They're still they still believe in America's team. They still believe God looks down through the the the, the roof of Texas Stadium onto Tom Landry and everything. That's not what exists. Jerry Jones is the biggest reason why the Cowboys are struggling. Him being a meddling owner and having to be involved in everything has hurt the franchise. Has set it back enormously. And everyone thinks Sean Payton's going there. Okay. Is Jerry going to let Sean Payton run the show? Is Jerry going to let Sean Payton have the freedom that he had under Mickey Loomis and the Queen Gail Benson and before that Tom Benson? Nope. Jerry can't help himself. Jerry loves him some Jera. Jerry was committed to building a winner in Dallas and was able to get three Super Bowls out of it early on. The oil tycoon came in and turned around the Cowboys. But then he loved him, the publicity that came with owning the Cowboys. And he loved the fact that he made money. And that became his two things, fame and money, not football. And that's why Dallas is in the predicament that is in year after year because of the owner. Let's talk a little New Orleans Saints football. They get the win Unprobable win on Sunday in Atlanta to start off the season 1-0. Jarvis Landry, the former LSU star, was a big reason why he went off more than 100 yards, came up big, catch after catch. His, you can tell there's great chemistry there with Jameis Winston. You can tell he's already bonding with Michael Thomas and Chris Olave and others. And Dennis Allen, who addressed the media yesterday, talked about how the former Tiger, boy, stepped up in a big way on Sunday. Yeah, look, I thought Jarvis played well. You know, he was involved in the quarterback, you know, crack toss there that, that Taysom scored the, 
the touchdown on. I thought it was blocked really well. Jarvis was right at the point of attack on that on that particular play. That's probably something that not many people talk about. You know, he made a nice catch on the on the seam ball in 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 uh, uh, in the two minute when they they pressured us a little bit and made a nice catch and run. And, and then obviously the play there at the end of the game on the boundary was a was a hell of a play and going up there and high pointing the ball. So, you know, I thought he I thought you know. First game in a real live game in Saints uniform, I thought thought it was pretty good. I'd say going over for a hundred yards was pretty good, but Da is always going to downplay things. <laughs> that's just that's just how he is. And you know what, Jarvis downplays it too. It's just his personality. That's why he's such a perfect fit for the Saints. What wasn't great in Sunday's game was the pass protection. It was bad. Winston was hit. Winston was sacked. They struggled with the bull rush in particular from Atlanta's defensive line. And D.A. talked about the pass protection in particular in Sunday's game. You know, actually, I thought the pass protection was actually pretty solid overall. We had a couple of miscues in terms of, you know, identifying on the protection. And there was a couple of plays where maybe we a little deep in the pocket, maybe we held on to it a little bit. I mean, here's the thing. When you talk about pass protection, there's a there's a ton of different variables that 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 go into it, and and typically the first thing is everybody starts to talk about the offensive line and things of that nature. But um, there's a lot of different elements that are involved in that. Receivers running the proper route at the right depth, quarterback getting to the right depth, getting rid of the ball, backs in protection. So there's a lot of different things that go involved in that. Um, I don't think we were as clean as we needed to be early in the game, uh, particularly in the first half. But I felt like, you know, as the game went on, I thought we got a little bit better. Got a little bit better, and I would agree with that. So now, even though it wasn't a pretty performance, they got the win dramatic. The way they played in the fourth quarter was magnificent. Can they do that from start to finish? They're going to have to be more consistent. They're going to have to play better. They're going to have to be more focused and be ready to go. Because as Dennis Allen said yesterday, they're turned the page, and now they're prepping for Tom Brady, Leonard Fournette, Mike Evans, and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Well, look, we're, we're going to look at how they've tried to attack us. Played them with with Brady at quarterback. We played them five times, and so we're certainly going to look at how they've tried to formation us, how they tried to attack us, how they called the game. But look, every year's different. Every game's different. You know, we got a hell of a challenge in front of us. And uh, we respect the hell out of the team that we're about to play. And, and we're going to have to play much better than we did this, this week if we expect to win. I would agree with that. They'll get a, a boost from the crowd inside the Caesar Superdome. But look, they have not been dominant at home the last few seasons either. The, the, the dome field advantage has not been there for at least three years. Not like what it used to be. So they're going to have to not be dependent on that energy. They're going to have to come out, be disciplined, and be ready to kick butt and take names and take down the fighting Jamie Greens. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foote in a glorious Tuesday edition of Footnotes. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs> Oh, are you ready for week two of Thursday night football? Get ready for a week of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. 
New customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on LA or Kansas City to win, and if your team leads by seven at any point during the game, you're going to get paid instantly even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use promo code 1037GAME to get yourself $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1037GAME, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 years of age to play physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus is issued as a free bet and one early win token issued at opt-in. Moneyline bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions do apply. Eligibility in terms of DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles. And if you got a gambling problem, call 1-877-770-STOP. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast, Coach Dez with the Raging Cajuns, Jim Gozolo from the Lake Charles American Press, and Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Poll question of the day, what would you have done in last night's Monday Night Football game? 84% of you say go for it on fourth down. Only 16% say attempt the ridiculous 64-yard field goal. Appreciate all who commented on Facebook and Twitter, all who voted as well. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parch the third, the birthday boy. I hope you guys have a tremendous day. Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. And Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.